Thank you for joining us on today's uh, episode of Pipeline Things. Today we find out that Chris is in a bit of a hard spot with his kids. Uh, they don't want to play soccer. Dad played soccer. Thou must play soccer if you were a member of the Daily Own family. Uh, but no, we tie that back to Ren2, the definition of hard spots, and we talk a little bit about the NTSP failure report for Danville, Kentucky. And so thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy it. And remember, your kids should play soccer. Welcome to today's edition of Pipeline Things. I am your host, Rhett Dotson, my co-host, Christopher DeLeon, and we want to thank you guys for joining us today. I um, I got to say, I, I think I'm going to like the way this episode's going to go. I never know exactly when I start, but um, I like what we have planned for you today. I feel like that's how you feel about me sometimes. You're not sure how the interaction's going to go. no, I always, I always, I, I, sometimes I don't know where you're going to go, but I trust you enough to know it's going to end up at a good spot. <laughs> Most of the time. Yeah. Most of the you time. You have to be comfortable with managing change, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, hey, man. Uh, what activities are your kids about to get into? We're hitting spring now. Weather's coming up. What are the daily own kids up to? So, what we're managing right now is it's um, spring soccer is about to start. And so, we've got all three of our kids signed up now for outdoor I thought, I thought only one of them actually liked soccer. No, no, that's not true. Is it a requirement in the De Leon household that you must, in order to be a member of the De Leon family, you must play soccer? And how many years do they have to play soccer for? Let's just say that uh, there are... Consequences? No, there are considerable incentives or bribing <laughs> to, get your to play soccer. To and if they score goals, it, it like it's the the benefits are exponential. So, so. it's a performance-driven family. Incentive-based. Uh, Incentive-based. No consequences. To do the things that dad wants. Wow. <laughs> to do the things that dad wants. That's uh, that's great. Yeah. Man. So we're playing soccer. It, it, it's fun. So we're, we're we're pretty active, right? So we have planned activities, extracurriculars, Monday through Thursday. So when you bring all of them into a new activity, we're just. Are you coaching? I've asked you before. Are you coaching any of the soccer? Not yet. Why not? Not yet. Because I want to be dad. Dude, but okay. I want to be dad. I I liked being dad and coaching. Yeah. So two two of my kids have asked for me to be coach. Mm. So the two. I feel like you'd be so good. Yeah. So Juliet and Gemma have both asked me to coach. But I just, I, I just like being dad. I like encouraging mm, them. I there, like cheering I, them on. There's a component to that. I'll yeah. be real with you. Let me ask you a question. What's up? So when you played soccer, because yeah. you played soccer pretty, and I think most of the a audience lot. knows that now. Yeah, yeah. You, you played it a lot. Yeah. Uh, how much has the game or the techniques in the game changed that you see in your kids? It's huge. So it, give me an example. It's huge. So I would say... Um, Parents are... Not related to parents. I want to talk about the physical of Ooh. actual, the game itself. So I would say... The action, my, my kids the training. Yeah, I would say my kids aren't there yet, but I would say there is a significantly more... Um, really? It, in, yeah, I, I would say that now as kids are getting in their teens, I would say strength and conditioning is becoming a much mm. more important part of the development of a player. Whereas before, with, when I was growing up, it was all about skill and talent. It was less about physical conditioning. So now you have to be stronger. You have to be more agile, more NFL-ish, more football-ish. So it's, it's funny. You, the reason I'm asking is obviously yeah. I coached Caleb's baseball for eight years. This is the first year he's yeah. not playing. Um, but I have a nephew now yeah. that's starting to play. And so uh, my sisters asked me, like, hey, will you come coach him? And I'm like, yeah. And they send yeah. me a video and I'm immediately like, oh, yeah, we need to break this down. He's not yeah. watching the ball. He's not doing this. Hey, when he throws, turn his shoulders. Um, 
And a lot of things, I didn't play a lot when I was young, yeah. but my older brother did. Yeah. And uh, when I started teaching Caleb, I started watching some videos, even off YouTube, so not that old, about the throwing yeah. motion, which is down, yeah. comes back, you make the snake bite yeah. come around. And when I brought him to a coach, the coach was like, we don't teach throwing like that anymore. I mean, this throwing is essential to baseball, because you yeah. start in the beginning. And he's like, no, whenever you want to throw, you actually just go, we'll go straight back we because this motion yeah, is that's better. that's how we do It's things. not how we, it's, yeah. it's but he's like, it's, it, this throwing motion has been improved, or has been shown to generate less injuries. It produces faster time to the ball. All these things that, I mean, we just taught as the essential way, even up through the YouTube age of how to yeah. throw a baseball. And you kind of, people just accepted it as the norm without ever, you know, it, it changed slowly. So I was wondering you know, if you the, the way like I almost that. want to render this, because I mean, obviously, we, we like to talk about pipelines and pipeline integrities. It's it, it sounds like there's there's this balance of discipline, the discipline component of being an athlete or a sport or professional, but then also the coaching, right? Mm -hmm. Just the how we do things, right? Which is performance, in my opinion. So again, my, my reference was it was a lot more around performance, not discipline. Right when I was when I was playing soccer growing up, it was a lot about can you strike the ball the right way and put it where we want you to. Has the right way to strike the ball changed in 20 years? That's where coaches change. Different coaches have different uh, styles, right? So for me, I was less impacted by one coach wanting me to strike the ball a certain way. It was more around hit it right, put it where I need you to put it all the time. Now mm -hmm. I feel like there's a big influence on strength and conditioning, which is significant. That's around performance. Right? There's a lot more weights involved, a lot more strategic agility drills. Whereas in your yeah, reference... No, baseball's seen a lot of that too. Yeah, exactly. Where I think what, what you're saying is more coaching tactic, right? That's more about, that's more about well, it's in like my opinion. It's like form, though. It's yeah, like it's basic, about, yeah, basic... That's discipline, right? That's about doing it this way versus doing it that way. Yeah. So, um, But yeah, so all of that is to say, I, I think we see that a lot in what we do as professionals, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, no doubt, right? So you can pretty clearly see where I was going with yeah. that segue, right? That a lot of times we do something a certain way because we say, this is how you should throw a baseball, yep. and there's no other way to throw a baseball, or this is how you should hit a baseball, or this is the proper way to strike a ball. And then when we're confronted with information of, hey, did you know that throwing that way actually leads to more injuries? You're like, whoa, I have to, yeah. I have to train a different way. I have to teach yeah. my kids how to throw a different way. Your procedures, your discipline. Uh, yeah. yeah, everything. And um, that is, I think, in a lot of ways, very applicable to our industry. Um, because today we're going to be talking about hard spots. And yeah. I think hard spots out there, I think, are probably one of the... What word would I use to describe hard spots? Um, if, if corrosion is the most mature threat... It's another zombie. Is it a zombie? I, I feel like, but it's, I feel on, like it's, it's, on the, it's on the horizon, and it's becoming more relevant. And you're gonna have to do something to prepare for it. And if you're not, you're probably behind the ball. It's one of those things where it's like it's it's at the horizon. It's coming. You're gonna have to cross that horizon. See, I wonder if operators realize that it's coming. So interesting. Like I just did a presentation this weekend covering dents and geohazards. Most yeah. people felt reasonably comfortable with dents. Yeah. Geohazards very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's another I've, zombie. I, I feel like hard spots people would put, way. yes, pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but focusing on this arc, uh, Chris, what, the reason we're bringing up hard spots today isn't just because we wanted. It's because there was something very important in Rin 2. I think it's important. You think it's important? I think it's important. If we look at some of the last episodes that we've done, you know, one of the, the sayings that we've said is define and defend. Yep. Well, right. in this case, 
uh, Rin to define hard spot for us. Um, so you can defend your own definition, but it's probably pretty good if you use Fimsis. No, we can defend our position, right? right? So it may be defined, but you need to have procedures in place to defend your position. Yep. So let's talk about this. Yeah, so in, right in. in Rin 2, uh, yep. I'm going to read the definition for you. They yep. actually added a section of code underneath the definitions, which is 192.3, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And they added the definition of a hard spot. Yep. And this is what they defined it as. Steel pipe material with a minimum dimension greater than two inches in any direction with hardness greater than or equal to Rockwell 35C, Brunel 327, or Vickers 345 HV10. So we see FEMSA endeavoring to give us an explicit definition of hard spots. Now it's interesting, Chris, that is the only place within RIN2 that hard spots are mentioned. And I thought it was kind of funny, I told you before the episode, it's funny. We defined hard spots in Ren 2, but there was actually a lot more conversation in Ren 1 we, it, around but, hard but spots. But there's a trend on that, right? So we, we, we've also talked about that. Ren 1, for example, introduced um, 712 where you're establishing predictive failure pressures, but it didn't tell you what to repair. Yeah. And now in Ren 2, we see the requirements for repair. So we understand why they really <laughs> wanted to release it all at once. And I understand, yeah. you know, one of the regulators' comments to us was, you know, you would have understood a lot of this if all three parts had come out at the same time. Yeah. And so what we see here is the definition of hard spots, but again, we don't want to get back into Ren 1 right now, yeah. but it's worthwhile to mention that hard spots appear in multiple locations, including uh, MCAs, the MAOP reconfirmation section. Yeah. It's called out as a threat that operators need to address, yeah. particularly with regards to ILI. So um, topic number one, obviously, is we're going to cover hard spots today for the audience, and there's something else that you wanted to bring out yeah. that surprised you. Yeah, it's the the so what of that, right? I always like to think of, okay, so why is this now defined? And what does it mean for me? Yeah. Okay, so they've defined hard spots. So what, right? Um, and so as I continue to read Rin 2, I feel like there's always a story there, right? That's why I like the preamble, right? We like reading the preambles. We like being engaged in industry because it kind of tells the full story. You don't want to look at one pixel on the TV. You want to look at all the pixels so you can see the picture. And what we also found is, is that they also introduced um, 192.13, I think it's paragraph D. Mm -hmm. Might have to check me on that, but it's MOC, Management of Change. And uh, I started thinking, I was like, I, I, wonder, I wonder if there's a correlation there, right? And what we do know is that incidents, significant incidents in our industry normally are big drivers for new regulation. And while we think that, you know, or we, we find that Sam Bruno is often referenced, right, in a lot of these um, preamble statements, I would say there's another incident out there that might have had something to do with the basis for defining hard spots and also this push towards having MOC being a more broader paragraph in, in code versus it being embedded as it is now, like inside a subpart O, which is specific to HCAs. So I think for the audience, we're gonna have to take you through that journey. So the question that Chris yeah. is mentioning specifically, or the point is related yeah. to 192.13, you're correct. Um, and it says that uh, each operator of an onshore gas transmission pipeline must evaluate and mitigate as necessary significant changes that pose a risk to the safety or the environment through a management of change process. Each operator of an onshore gas transmission pipeline must develop and follow a management of change process, as outlined in ASMEB 318S section 11. Yeah. Section 11, yeah. and then they go through. 
Um, it's interesting that you referenced the incident because the incident that you're referring to is the Danville, Kentucky incident. Yeah. Um, to catch the audience up on that, uh, what we're talking about here is um, Enbridge operated a 30-inch natural gas. I'm reading specifically yeah, yeah. from the NTSB's uh, report. So for our audience out there, you can actually search the NTSB failure investigation, go to pipelines and find this material. Um, it says that Enbridge's 30-inch natural gas transmission pipeline ruptured in Danville, Kentucky, releasing about 100 million cubic feet of natural gas that ignited. The accident resulted in one fatality, six injuries, six injuries, and the evacuation of over 75 people. Five residences were destroyed by the resulting structural fires, and an additional 14 were damaged. A nearby railroad track was also damaged, and over 30 acres of land were burned. As you go through and read that report, they attributed the failure to uh, a hard spot that interacted with cracking. Yeah, and j just to set the background, guys, the intent is not necessarily to, to walk through or dissect that report in particular. It's rather just tying that back to potentially why we find some of the things we find in Ren 2, right? Yep. It's normally attributed to significant incidents. There was a fatality. It's a threat that uh, the NTSB and FEMSA felt maybe needed some more attention. And so what do you do? They define it. Right. They say, hey, guys, we need to be aware of this stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting to note that, again, um, this incident occurred. And it wasn't the first hard spot related incident, not yeah. on that line. Um, but I do think that it, it gathered a lot of attention for a couple of reasons. So I want to give you some of the, the key points from that. And then I want you to help us take us through how yeah. does this actually relate to what we see in code. Sure. Um, so I think key point number one, and I think where a lot of operators find themselves, is that hard spots are considered a manufacturing threat. Exactly right. Um, which we consider stable. So yeah. in general, again, I want to take uh, our, our listeners back through that. Yeah. There are a number of threats that when we identify them as stable, mm -hmm. we don't take further action on them. Is yeah. that fair to say? I would, I would say procedurally, they're probably considered as monitored. Monitored. Right. So, which, which could take you down another path. Well, if they're monitored, how are you monitoring them, right? But again, in most cases, category one is it's they're stable. And two, under continuous evaluation, you're always looking to see have any of those conditions changed. Right. And so there's a number of threats that fall into this. We talk yeah. about seam weld flaws fall into this yep. in natural gas pipelines. Maybe wrinkle bends fall into this under natural gas pipelines. Yep. Hard spots, even certain girth welds might be considered yep. vintage manufacturing defects that are stable. Yep. And But there's a caveat there, right? Yeah. That's under the basis of a hydro test, right? So just a little caveat there, right? Uh, Not just because you. you have them means they're stable, right? They're, they've, been, they've been tested for fitness through your hydro test. Now that's where the whole idea of, well, how long was the test? Do you have records? Can you, you know, do you have TVC records for it, et cetera? We won't get into that. And even Ren 1 again, yep. touch base on the subpart J hydro test on 1.25 in order yep. to, for, for, for crack-like flaws to be considered stable. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to read here, because then in that report, they referenced the fact that Enbridge had considered it stable. And it said they also reference a FEMSA 2017 advisory bulletin on yeah. manufacturing defects. And it says that according to the 2017 advisory bulletin, manufacturing threats are stable threats that become active. That is require reassessment. Huge language, right? Yep. So they're giving us the manufacturing, uh, the requirements under which manufacturing threats can become active, at least per that 2017 bulletin. Yeah. When any of the following occur, the operating pressure increases above the highest operating pressure in the past five years. Yep. The MAOP is increased, or stresses are increased that lead to cyclic fatigue. 
And it says in 2007-11, sorry, Spectra yep. and later Enbridge considered hard spots as eliminated as a threat on line 15, valve section 4, after one line inspection, four excavations, and one repair on the pipeline segment. Yeah, so... Again, we're using this NTSB report just as a basis for discussion, guys. Yep. Right? Again, the, the intent is not to to dissect it and understand right or wrong or to draw a position. Absolutely. Right? So I, I think what I want to highlight there is it's when you look at the NTSB advisory bulletin, um, those don't necessarily correlate. And that's a segue for you to mention more about the NTSB report is it's none of those were the drivers that we believe to be what caused the incident. Absolutely. Right? So... The basis could have been a hard spot, but change would have had to happen. Something right. would have had to have um, made that an active integrity threat. And in, it's interesting because in the report they go through and they identify that the change you're speaking of was a line reversal in this particular case. Yeah. And they specifically say that line reversals don't fall under any type of management of change process. Yeah. However, we would say that an operator would consider that uh a management change process, and there were advisory bulletins around flow reversals let's and, just, and, and service changes, right? Opposite, I'm going to sure. say, I have heard of, obviously when an operator reverses the line, mm -hmm. I'm very familiar with how they address the integrity threat of SCC, because everybody sure. recognizes that, hey, when yep. you reverse a line, you increase the threat of SCC near yeah. the suction the first station. Valve section, yeah. The Got first it. valve section, yeah. But I don't think I've ever heard Anyone yeah. mentioned the threat of hard spots changing with regards to a line reversal? Yeah. I feel like that's it's, new information that I don't think. I, it, I think, and again, it, go, it goes back to our, our opening, right? It's, I think it's more about FEMSA wanting to highlight the importance of managing change specific to the analysis process that you would want to attribute to like a safety management mentality, yeah. right? where you're thinking, hey, I'm inducing change on this pipeline. This is fair for me to look at my baseline assessment program yep. and reevaluate what threats I think are active and which ones are stable. Right. And so would necessarily, and again, I want to pull a little bit away from Danville in this case and saying, was it important that, is the, the message to take away from this that there was a flow reversal in hard spots? I would say no. I think it's more around thinking through a process of change management of there's your integrity management program is based on processes and procedures and your process should be continuous evaluation and it's important for you to say okay what are my active threats and what are my stable threats and redefine them so that you can defend them again yeah. right i think that's the point so it's, it's a little bit pulling away from the danville scenario and saying i think that's the nugget right because if, if we look at the the NTSB report again again I I don't think we could correlate the fact that the pressure the the flow was reversed entirely to why we think no it's just a contributing happened, factor right? right and they say that combined with some other things led to it becoming a reactivated threat yeah. which is very interesting and so the net brings us to our next topic which is you know again they considered the hard spots eliminated after one inline inspection yep. and it's worth talking about that inline inspection but here's where i'm going to put a cliffhanger for our audience because we're going to take a break and if you want to hear what i have to say on the ili you're going to have to come back there after a brief word from one of our friends hi i'm kara turner i am the managing director and co-founder of adv marketing we get the honor of working with Rhett and Christopher to produce this crazy podcast and also work with them on any other initiatives that they have when it comes to marketing. And if you know them or are listening to this podcast, you know that it gets pretty crazy around here. So we have a lot of fun with them. 
ADV Marketing is a full-service business-to-business marketing agency. Um, we specialize in service companies and technology companies. So if you are enjoying listening to this podcast and the fun that they're having, reach out to us and see how we can make your marketing fun. All right, welcome back to Pipeline Things. Uh, as Chris Dooley pointed out during the break, he was um, unhappy with my presentation of the, the <laughs> my summarization of the cause of the failure in the uh, Danville, Kentucky. So I want to I want to revisit that briefly because sure. I want to keep you happy, Chris. That's Thanks. my primary well, goal. It's important for the audience to know what's going on. Yes. Um, so I, the hard spot was the cause of failure, but it was a hard spot interacting with a threat. So I'm just going to yeah. read directly what the the, the, the NTSB says. says yeah. Right. It says the probable cause. And resulting fire was due to a combination of a pre-existing hard spot, and they put in parentheses, a manufacturing defect, yep. degraded coating, and ineffective cathodic protection applied following a 2014 gas reversal project, which resulted in hydrogen-induced cracking at the outer surface of line 15. Yep. Now, so that's why I had already mentioned the gas reversal, and I want to go back again because they do mention it as a contributing fa- a factor. They say contributing to the accident was the 2014 gas flow reversal project, which increased external corrosion and hydrogen evolution. So again, yeah. manufacturing, or I'm sorry, hard spots, which are a manufacturing threat, are happy as long as nothing changes, yeah. right? In this particular case, we had increased external corrosion and hydrogen migration that happened as a result of what the NTSB says is line reversal. Yep. And so that was the role that the, the line reversal played there. But going back again, I think the whole point there was that I feel there's, there is a lesson to be learned there, and it's not the point of the show, which yeah. is that the line reversal, most people wouldn't have thought that would have contributed to the reactivation of a hard spot threat. I, yeah. I was like, man, I think that, that that in of itself is a key learning apart from this show. But the reasons why they considered the hard spot stable, I mentioned before, was that they had one inspection, four excavations, and one repair. Yeah. The inspection that they mentioned was based on a 2011 technology. So ILI, right? Inline ILI, inspection, not, correct. not direct examination. And I want to read what the NTSB report says. It says, NTSB reviewed the performance specification for the tool used during the 2011 hard spot MFL run yep. and found that the report provided to Spectra did not contain a statement regarding minimum detection capabilities of the tool. Further, the specifications were not complete. They did not yep. clearly state if the probability of detection, location accuracy, and sizing accuracy applied to hard spots, metal loss anomalies, or both. In addition, it says specialized ILI tools, such as hardspot MFL tools, rely on proprietary processes for data analysis and interpretation. Spectra relied on the ILI vendor's contractual requirements and confirmation using the vendor's quality checks for validation of data coverage and quality. Man, thanks for doing that. Now the audience doesn't have to go read the report. Well, it, it got to set the stage, and yeah. I don't want I don't want to, since you've already harped on me once and said that apparently I didn't do a good job like paraphrasing something, I'm terrified. But as a paraphrase now, just read the darn report. Yeah, so a couple of things that we get from that, um, you know, me getting back to the so what, is um, I think it's important for us to take a moment to talk about why they say MFL technology, right? Hardspot MFL, yep. specifically, yeah. But it's MFL technology. Yes. So can, can MFL technology be used to detect, identify, and size hard spots? I think the answer is, yeah, we think so, right? Yes. So how, how does that work? I wasn't sure how to answer because you would yeah. give me this look and I'm like, well, am I supposed yeah. to answer yes or no here? I'm, I'm actually yeah. not sure what he's trying to get. Yeah. No, no. Uh, again, we, we're relatively confident in that, right? And so yeah. uh, 
usually it's it's a it's a two um, MFL based system. So one where is a a higher uh, MFL um, magnetic circuit where you'll have let's call it greater than 10,000 kiloamps per meter right. saturation in the pipe wall, and then you'll have something that's different than that. Traditionally on the lower side. Yeah. Some tools will try to use a trailing MFL sensor where it's some distance behind the, the high field uh, magnetic MFL um, where it's some distance and it doesn't have another magnetic circuit, a complementary magnetic circuit, it just has MFL sensors trailing. Another one is it's, it's a calibrated low field MFL. Right. And so, so there are variations in the applications of MFL for the detection yeah. of hard spots. Yeah. It's not, it's so not are they all the same? All. No. I think that's one of the big takeaways, yeah. right? Is it's like all technologies, it's really important for you as an operator to understand what's the measurement principle, how is the performance specification established, what's the historical performance of it, what is that tool going to be I'm able sorry, to do? Are we for talking you? about hard spots still? Because I feel like you're talking about cracks all of a sudden. I feel like you just jumped straight from hard spots <laughs> to EMAT. I feel like, you know, after I've been listening to you talk about EMAT for the last three months, I feel like you, you're saying the same thing that you say for EMAT. It's process, procedure, right? It's 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 ILI tool selection. And, and the neat thing about this, and, and, and I think the NTSB report highlights this, is it's um, in RIN 1 of the new gas reg, we see that um, API standard 1163 is now also incorporated by reference. Yeah, I'm chomping at the bit here, Chris. Because yeah, look, we work for a vendor, we, we, we saw this aspect of things. What I mean is the questions we received most times on a specification were yeah. around the images for depth and length not the other language in the specification. Yeah. And I, I'm just, I'm, and that's I'm being gap. honest. And that's is, I wonder how many, how many people would still find themselves not aware of the finer details or points of a performance specification yeah. today. So, um, man, that, that could be a whole other episode, I mean, it right? could be. Like, if we, I were we to could ask, do an episode on qualifying ILI technology. What's, what's the qualification like of an yeah. ILI technology for detecting metal loss and depths? What's the qualifications yeah. for an ILI technology differentiating yeah. seam weld defects? What's the, I mean, there's, in detection within different types of seam welds, there's a lot of questions you could run down here related yeah. to performance specifications, Chris, that I think are fair. Because I think, I, I want to defend the operators a bit here and say I don't always feel like the performance specifications are written in a manner that's that's always easy to understand. Well, I would also say though, but again... Or I'll, if you're not used to looking at them, maybe you don't even know what questions to ask. And, and maybe that's it, right? So I'll tie into part of, again, something that I think is important and it's... You know, in, in the gas reg presently, <clears throat> there is language that operators should lean on, right? So 192.911, um, paragraph O, it's pretty specific. It's you have to have written procedures, right? You have to have written procedures that ensure pipeline integrity for environmental safety, public safety. I mean, you have to have written procedures for your activity associated with integrity assessments. So, so if an operator listens to this podcast, Chris, yeah. and jumps in and says, oh my gosh, I'm going to go read our specifications. And they start reading the specifications and they have questions, what should they do? Um, talk to their RLI vendor. And I would say before they do that, they should probably read 1163, which it's not a fun read, but a big takeaway that I would give you is this, is it's one, you need to understand what the tool's gonna be able to do for you for the specific threat you're looking for. You need to understand how the MFL, how the, excuse me, how the performance specification was established because 1163 doesn't tell you what a standard is from a minimum performance perspective. It just says define it and then establish a spec. And the ILI vendors get to establish what that bar is they have to meet, right? So who dictates that you need a POD of 90% and or a POD of greater than 50% for a specific threat, right? And that's where really operators need to hone in and say, when I read these specs, I need to understand number one is it's, what are they trying to tell me? 
Two, how did they establish it? And three, what's their historical performance? You could tell me this all day long, but how are you substantiating that the tool can perform accordingly? Yeah. Let's get back to the NTSB report. And that's highlighted there, right? It, it, it is. And I think that's a big takeaway for, for vendors is really, I would, I would, or operators, I'm sorry, maybe yeah. operators and vendors both, yeah. is dig into your performance specification and understand it. Not yeah. just the picture that states what the detection capabilities are. Yeah, and if you have questions, you should talk to your ILI vendor. Yeah, Absolutely. get help. And you, you should dig into understanding how it was validated. Again, because I think it's, again, it's interesting that, you know, um, the NTSB honed in on that. Um, it's also interesting, Chris, and this is where you were going to bring up the, the, the last point. In uh, that data set that they collected in 2011, and there were seven integrity assessments, as a result of this incident, they went back and reevaluated the data set. Yeah. And um, I don't know, this really stood out to me, so I I'm just going to read it again. It says, in August of 2019, the vendor used the raw data from 2011 to conduct a reanalysis that showed a total of 441 hard spots in the segment. Yep. Of these 441 identified hard spots, nine were located in the pipeline joint that ruptured, including two at the rupture origin, with yep. predictive hardness values of 241 Brunel and 245 Brunel. So, uh, so significant. Uh, let, me, let me take so yep. what? During the 2011 inspection, there yep. were no hard spots identified within this region that failed. So even had um, Enbridge gone back and said, hey, we're reversing flow, we need to reassess hard spots, mm -hmm. if they had just done it based on the data that they had, it wouldn't have yep. triggered anything in exactly this joint. Right. They go back though and they rerun it and they find 441, nine of which are in this joint, two of which who have 241 and 245 Brunel. Now, the surprising thing there to me is that, again, 241 and 245 Brunel aren't high enough to have made an operator jump up and do and, anything. And it's also less than the 327 that is now in the definition for hard spots. Yes. Getting so, back to the so what. I, so that it's interesting to me. So clearly there's, there's still a gap there. But I think the, the reanalysis is a bit. It's great. What do you mean great? I it's was thinking, I was going to say, you say great. I was thinking yeah. alarming. <laughs> it, it's not alarming, right? It's all about perspective. Right? I mean, we want ILI technology to improve, mm. right? And so what this demonstrated is, is that ILI technology works, right? And that's why, that's why I think we see the GPAC as, as, as the, the new gas rule and, and FIMSA and the DOT, they're really, they're really pushing towards the use of ILI and continuous improvement technology development for mm. ILI. Right? The technology back in 2011 had the capability of detecting it. However, as we see in the report, there was not what I would call an API 1163 compliant or consistent performance spec for hard spots with that ILI system. Mm. Fast forward, say, plus or minus, I mean, uh, roughly eight years, what happens? New computational technology, more experience, they know what they're looking for, the ILI system is better understood, and now they surface 400 plus features, and in that specific joint, nine candidate features. Yeah. And we gotta be careful here, right? Because we need to appreciate that you don't, th there's always this, 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 but Chris, this, this analysis requirement of thresholding, right? And you don't wanna say, oh, we'll report everything you see, because then, no. then you really are finding a needle in yeah, the haystack, right? But here's right? my challenge, right? So, and I wanna, I wanna ask you for what recommendations you would have here, right? If sure. you run, yeah, an ILI spec tech spec. Yep, start over. If, yeah, try that again. Um, can we edit that out, Miss Producer? No. I don't know. By the no. way, it's so good to see Miss Producer yeah. back. By the way, congratulations to Miss Producer. She's got yes. a new name now. So if you searched her up on LinkedIn, she's totally different now. You should continue searching for that old person though, because we don't want anybody to take her. Amen. Um, she's fabulous. Um, so, 
but going back, if an operator runs a technology mm -hmm. for a stable threat, yep. and let's say they run your traps down on 1163 and the procedure's qualified, yep. how or what advice do you give an operator to reconsider that technology as it continues to progress? So let, let me make sure I understand this. So you ran it before. Do you need to go back let's and say an operator. Let's say an operator today ran yeah. EMAT for the justification of their seamweld flaws, showed that all their seamweld flaws are stable. They're like, hey, it's cool. And when? Today. Let's say they okay, did they it ran, today. They ran it right now. Okay. Let's say they ran sure. it today and finished it up. Sure. And we know EMAT's going to continue to change. I'm yep. just using EMAT as an example because I know it's always on your mind. Yep. I like let's say, spots, let's okay. say Let's say There's Gen a lot of hard spot runs. Let's say EMAT Ultra Ultra Plus. Yeah. A hashtag awesome yeah. comes out in yeah. 10 years. Sure. Does an operator go back and reevaluate a segment with the new technology updates? I mean, how, it, do, it how do you do that? It always depends, right? I, w I would say that as part of integrity management, well, it's can you a, hold that operator? It's a Look, you asked me a question. I'm saying it's a culture. I'm asking you a question, but I want to yeah, keep asking. It's okay, keep peppering. right? As an integrity engineer, because I still think of myself as an integrity engineer, we don't work for an operator. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, but as a consultant, I would say, you're always managing your pipeline. You're always mm -hmm. integrating data. You're always integrating the information from the field that you're learning at conferences, that you're learning potentially from our podcast. Mm -hmm. And you're always thinking about your assets and saying, hey, I know on this segment, it's been in the ground for this long. I know these challenges. I know the coding type. I haven't found it yet, but we have other different threats. So in this case, if I'm not mistaken, Danville was EFW pipe. Yep. Right. So we've now learned that EFW pipe has a propensity to have hard spots in it. So if you have EFW pipe, specifically 30 inch, like in this case, and you haven't thought about the threat of hard spots. But they had. They did in 2011. Again, again we're, we're, yeah, we're not here just to talk about this scenario. What so I'm that's saying what is it's, it, yeah, it, it, it's the concept of. So is it like once a decade you should kick the tires on technology and see what happens? I mean. I, yeah, I, th I think it depends. I think that's what I'm saying. I, th I feel I, like I that's think, a challenge. I think it depends, spot. right? And and that's the whole concept of continuous improvement and learning and, 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 and education. Yeah, I think where I, what I like what you were saying is that I, I do think as you go to conference and you listen to what some of the vendors claim they can do, it's worth paying attention when something new comes on the scene Absolutely. and evaluating how it might change your baseline assessment. But equally, and I'll look at the camera on this one. It is incumbent on the operator for you to qualify that technology, yes, right? Not so much that the vendor is qualifying their specification. That's step one. Step one is for a technology to be vetted by the technology company for them to have a commercialization process and to be transparent as required by 1163, API 1163 to communicate a performance spec and how was it established. And you can audit that process, right? You, you can talk to your vendor and say, how did you establish the spec? Show me your process, show me what, what you achieved. But then it's incumbent on you as an operator to say, will this tool meet the requirements or the goals of the inspection that I have? And what are you gonna do to ensure that it's gonna be able to give you the characteristic data or the information you need to give you that comfort to say, you know what, I feel good. And back to these guys, they went and did digs. They did. They it's did really hard to say they did something wrong. If the vendor doesn't Agreed. report it, how is the operator supposed to respond? And that was right? my question. And, 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 there that, you go. and that's a challenge, right? I mean, again, you said it earlier, this pipeline had seven integrity assessments on it across the span of, say, let's just call it eight to 10 years. I don't remember the exact dates, but this wasn't a baseline assessment. Nope. So they knew the threat of it. They tried to assess it. They went and did digs. They did at least what some would argue could be a level one or a level two validation of the ILI. Yeah, the, the NTSB specifically said it wasn't statistical. They didn't. Yeah. But they, they, yeah, agreed. They did it, do some validation. And so the point is, it's it's kind of hard to you know 
I'll be honest with you, you kind of feel, I'm, I'm, in my perspective, if I'm the integrity engineer on the job, I'm kind of feeling bad for him a little bit. Like, yeah. I can't say they necessarily did anything wrong other than recognize, looking back, 20, hindsight's twenty twenty, and saying there wasn't an ally specification that you could have held the, 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 the vendor to. We could question how was that spec established and what was the historical performance and could there more have been done? Yes. The reality is, is it's... Man, that's kind of hard. And so that that may be, you know, again, I want to, because we're we're gonna run out of time here, and I do think it's each of these topics probably could have been a separate. But as it pertains yeah. to hard spots and their inclusion of definition and Rin two, I think where I want to try and get to a recommendation if an operator is listening to this yeah. is that if if and let's let's limit it to hard spots for now. Yeah, is that you need to understand the specification and how it's qualified. And I, I'm gonna add a caveat to that. Sure. Whether you're performing an inspection today or you performed an inspection 10 years ago. Because there's probably some operators out there who evaluated what they would have considered to be susceptible segments based on that information at the time. With a technology back then. With a technology yes. that's 10 years old. So, and, and, and that's why, again, when we were thinking about what to highlight in, in RIN2, because this kind of wraps up our RIN2 arc, it was, you know, we just got off this co idea of define and defend, right? FIMS has defined something. Yep. And so now it's, and operators are constantly defending their integrity management programs and their decisions. Yep. And some operators have been prudent and said, you know what, I know I might have had an issue with hard spots. There you go. I ran hard spot tools, I'm gonna pick something. 10 years ago, I'm picking something arbitrarily, right? 10 years ago, and I feel good about it, and I've never found anything in the field. Right. We would just say, because of this incident that happened, it's healthy for you to read through it and learn and say, man, you know what? What can I what, learn here? What do I need to do here, yep. right? And so my recommendation is this, is to recognize that technology and ILI is evolving. And 1163 focuses on the ILI system, which just isn't the tool, the manual, the physical component. It's not just a centauric technology. It's also the algorithms that are applied, the procedures for evaluation, the personnel qualifications. It's all of that. Yep. And I think what we have seen lately, again, is we have seen, because we've watched presentations from the NTSB where they have harped yeah. on the fact that, hey, operators aren't learning from other operators and we're seeing the same mistakes. And I think that yeah. that is a key learning here. Know yeah. your specification. And if you ran it historically, go yeah. back and revisit that specification, at least as it pertains to hard spots. And if you're going to run a new technology, Understand. qualify it, right? So again, same thing. ASME b 8 s is incorporated by reference. We see that in, in section 12. Um, under quality management controls, I mean, it's pretty explicit, right? I, I don't remember the verbatim, but it basically says if you are using outside resources to conduct integrity-related activities, and it even says, I think, for example, pigging, yes. you are still responsible for the quality management of that process. And so, again, I even think the NTSB report in this case says that the operator relied on the vendor's quality process. Yep. So if I was to try to picture that a little bit to see if you could see what I'm saying is it's the operator needs to be careful about trusting third-party quality management systems and processes. You define them and they have to prove or qualify against your quality management system. I think the NTV even said that for standard processes like MFL and Caliper, you know, the operator had predefined processes, but for this one, they didn't, yeah. right? And I think that's just what I wanted to state is it's, you know, we have all these resources, right? Lean on your standards, lean on your recommended practices, lean on industry lessons learned and own that quality management. All right, man, that's really good stuff. Um, so 
I'm going to wrap up this episode and say, you know, that um, if, you, if you get a chance, take a look at the NTSB failure report. It actually yeah. is a, a good read. Um, there's a lot that can be gleaned there. And uh, I think we're coming up now. We're going to be wrapping up this. Uh, we have one more episode left, which is our Q&A episode. So I'd like to highlight that if you have questions for Christopher or I, yeah. we always take a mix of fun and a mix of serious. <laughs> so you can give them to uh, Miss Producer. You can give them to us on LinkedIn. You can email them to us. I think we've gotten a few to info at d2integrity.com yeah, through info the website. D2integrity. Um, yep. Feel free. Uh, we can keep it anonymous or we can mention you. It's up to you. And again, sometimes we may pull, as you saw in the last episode, we may pull that question out and ask an operator directly um, if it's good enough. So, um, Chris, anything else you want to leave them with? Yeah, I would just say um, hard spots kind of seems to be a hot topic. Um, I would say ask for help, right? There's a lot going on with hard spots. There's a lot of lessons learned. There's a lot of activities, um, whether it's integrity assessments, whether it's um, integrity management, or it's understanding I like technology, ask for help. Um, like we say, phone calls are free, give us a call. Do the, uh, can the audience expect updates on your kids' soccer progress? Can we get statistics? <laughs> Number of goals shore, scored, sky, you know, passes landed, shots taken. Number of minutes setting the bench. Number of minutes requested to set yeah. the bench. Yeah. Let, let's just say again, right now, I'm still in the phase of we're doing it for fun and we're not competitive yet. I don't, I don't need them to pay for college through soccer yet. I, I I'm feel just like if you're fun. paying your kids to play soccer, <laughs> it's probably competitive. But that's just me. So we hope you enjoyed this episode of Pipeline Things. Um, uh, thank you for joining us. Remember, submit your questions. It's been a pleasure being with you. I am your host, Red Dodson, my co-host, Christopher DeLeon, and we'll see you again in two weeks. <laughs>